0: Okay this is, an exciting, this is an exciting day when I was asked to do this talk, I, um, I guess Carol asked me, and, and I was like, it's just, what are you going to talk on?" And I really hadn't the idea at the time, so I prayed, and I, I felt that what I wanted to talk about was entering into God's presence. Today I want to talk about entering into God's presence. And while I had a title for the topic, I had had absolutely no idea what I was going to talk about. So uh, I waited for a long time until I I, I felt that nudge to build this talk based upon the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent. Sometimes referred to as the Songs of Ascent. Now what are the Songs of Ascent? They are 15 psalms. Psalm 120 through 134. And I think as most of you know, that the ancient Jewish people went to Jerusalem three times a year for a festival. Wherever they were in the world, three times a year they would go to Jerusalem to worship at the temple, at the temple of the Lord. And along that journey, they would sing these psalms. They're called the Psalms of Ascent because Jerusalem was built on a hill, right? And so wherever you were, when you went to Jerusalem, you went up, you always had to go up to get to Jerusalem. And so it's the ascent. It's the ascent of wherever we are into the holy place of God, to the temple of God, where we will worship. And so I thought I would build our talk today on these 15 Psalms of Ascent. And actually, I just sincerely hope I get through all 15 of them. But I guess if I don't get through all 15 of them and these two talks, I'll have to finish it up in the Mass this afternoon, which should be an exciting thing. So that's, that's something that I want us to do. Now one of the things, before I get started on that talk, is I understand there are a lot of Franciscans here. Who were here for your Franciscan retreat? And when I was told that, I went and got my Tau Cross, which I picked up um, when I was last time I was in Assisi. And um, this is a little hand sculptured Tau, and as you can see, it uh, is built. It is made out of St. Francis' habit, which is uh, which is rags and sewn together and pieced together. It has a little blood stain here of the st- of his stigmata. And when I saw this, uh, this cross, I was there at the gift shop at the uh, Basilica in Assisi. And I thought, we bear our cross dressed in our rags. And I don't know, and I'm, I'm quite aware that I'm the worst sinner I know. And I, I'm just so aware that we bear such a precious, such a precious um, Gift, such a precious thing as the cross of Christ. The very sacrifice of Christ. We wear, we wear that inside of us. But it's clothed in our own sinfulness. And so I was uh, always touched by that. So I thought I'd bring this cross out today. And I uh, welcome all the Frans- Franciscans who are here. For, uh, this, uh, for this day of reflection. So let's begin. We're going to begin with Psalm 120. That's the first of the Psalms of Ascent. Now remember, the Jews, ancient Jews, have been scattered around the world. They have been conquered several times. The Assyrians conquered them. The Babylonians conquered them. The Romans conquered them. The Greeks, the other Persians, everybody had conquered Israel and, and scattered the Jews throughout the world. So they would begin this ascent to Jerusalem to come worship from where they are, and so do we. When we come to worship, when we come to Mass on Sunday mornings, we're coming from the taint of the world. We're coming from a point where we have spent all week being tainted by the world. We have been, we're going to work, been in the workplace, our minds have been distracted, we've been dealing with problems, we've been having to pay bills, sometimes we haven't got all the money we need to pay the bills, and we have... We have become overwhelmed with the the distractions and the troubles that we experience in the world. But then we need to lay those aside so that we can come, leave those distractions behind and we come worship. So I'm going to read from Psalm 120. In my trouble... I cried to the Lord, and he heard me. O Lord, deliver my soul from wicked lips and a deceitful tongue. What can a man give to you? What can be added to you? A deceitful tongue is a sharp arrow of a mighty warrior, a flaming arrow that lays waste. Woe is me that my traveling is prolonged. I have lived with the inhabitants of Kadar, the dark descendants of Ishmael. My soul has been a traveler too long. I have lived with them that hate peace, though I myself was peaceable. When I spoke to them, they fought against me. They made war against me without cause. So, as we begin our ascent to Jerusalem, as we begin our journey into the holy places, begin our journey into the presence of God, we've got to realize we're beginning, from an un- we're beginning from an unholy place. We're beginning from being preoccupied and consumed by the world. And there's a point of self-examination. Can we examine ourselves? Can we see the way that the world has distracted us? Can we see the way the world has injured us? And can we come, can we leave that aside before we come to the Lord? It used to be the custom, the tradition among Catholics, that they would always go to confession before they went to Mass, right? Everybody would go to confession on, on, on Saturday afternoons or evening, or and, and there was always confession before Mass. We don't necessarily have that tradition, that, that custom anymore, although... In fact, in this day and age, confessions are so difficult because of, of our COVID restrictions our, uh, that you have to maintain a certain amount of ventilation level for, for, for confession areas and you have to disinfect the whole area after each person comes and goes. And so at least in our, in our parish here, we, we, you know, at this point, just only have confessions by appointment. Although every Saturday somebody grabs me and say, hey, can you, will you hear my confession? <laughs> and that's fine too. But because, you know, we have restrictions today. But we have been injured by the world. And oftentimes we're injured by a deceitful tongue. Have you ever just, if you've you know, gotten all those emails where someone says, you know, I have $10 million, I need you to hold on to me for a little while. Have you gotten those emails? <laughs> and doesn't it just make you angry that people are trying to, to steal from you? The lying tongue. Most of us have been injured by a lying tongue. Have you ever been to that point where people have tried to harm you? People have tried to ruin your life. They spread rumors about you. You may not have that experience. I get that a lot. <laughs> it's part of being a priest. You know, um, in the world today, there are lots of very strong opinions. And very strong opinions about COVID. Should we wear masks? Should we wear gloves? Should we go out? Should we go to church? Should we stay home? All these people have very strong opinions. And and some are saying, oh, this is the next black plague and we have to be very careful. And others are saying, it's not even real. It's just another flu and it's not that bad. You know, have you heard both those sides? I hear both those sides all the time. I've got people in my congregation who believe very strongly one way or the other. And so as a priest, I tend to try to walk the middle road, right? I try to balance things and, and stay, you know, and... and kind of keep everybody together, but that, that only ensures one thing. Everybody's going to be mad at me. I'd be better off if I chose one side or the other then only half the people would be mad at me. But as I, as I, as I bring together a congregation, you know, as I look out in, among people, there are some people who think this church is just a business. I had a problem with some parishioners who believed our church is nothing more than a business, and they didn't like the fact that I didn't treat it like a business. They didn't like the fact that I would give money to the poor and I'd take care of the poor. And they rose up as, I, I made a great stink against me. Someone wrote an 18 page letter to the bishop telling me he needs to, he needs to do something with me. He said, uh, <laughs> I won't tell you what he said. 18 pages. I mean, I know I'm the worst sinner I know. But really, 18 pages? He came up with 18 pages of things to say against me? So... Lying tongues are out there, and they are coming, and they will attack, and they will destroy. And we begin our journey into God's presence by letting go. By letting go of those injuries. By letting go of the distractions. the letting go of the false beliefs. One of the things that keeps us away from God more than any other are false beliefs that we hold about God. Things that perhaps we have been, in, that have been instilled in us as a child. Better watch out. God's got his eye on you. He's, made, he, he's got a book. He's got, he's got a list of all of your sins. Better watch out. Have you ever heard that? Were you given that as a child growing up? Some of you weren't. Some of you were. I was. <laughs> but you know the good news is there is no book. The scripture promises us that God forgets all our sins. He forgets them. He's not keeping track. He is forgiving. He lets go of our sins. So we when we come to the point of wanting to come into the presence of God, we need to let go. We need to repent, we need to confess, but we need to let go. When we have our when our children do something wrong. How, you know, we might, we might punish them. We might correct them. We we'll certainly will try to teach them to do better. But do we hold it over them for the rest of their lives? I hope not. <laughs> Some parents do. Yeah, and we, and, we, and we know what those kids are like. But we, we want to embrace our children forever. God wants to embrace us. So when we prepare our hearts to come into the presence of God, we realize there are things that we're carrying that we need to let go of. And I'm and yes, okay, I am talking about sins, but more than that I'm talking about guilt and shame and those things that would prevent us from entering into God's presence. We need to let go of anger. People have tried to steal from us. We get those emails all the time. And actually, those scam emails are getting better, aren't they? They look really real. A lot of times they have a logo of the Internal Revenue Service saying, the police are coming to your door and they're going to arrest you if you don't pay this bill right now. Click here. (laughs) You know, you get this stuff. We need to forgive. To let go. To take our eyes off of all the things of this world that distract and tear us away from God. Bring our focus to the Lord. We are beginning a journey to Jerusalem. We are beginning a journey to the temple of God. We are beginning a journey that will bring healing to our souls. So let go of those things that hold us back. Let go of those things that distract us. Let go of those things that that would hold us from going to God. And so many of the business concerns. And we have businesses and, so, and sometimes that's, that weighs upon us. I don't have time to go to the church and, you know, and spend time. I don't have time to get to a day of reflection. Let go of those things that hold us back and distract us. Begin our journey to the Lord. The second psalm of ascent, Psalm 121, I have lifted up my eyes to the mountains, from them is where my help comes. This is the psalm of ascent when we've left the world behind, turned our focus away from those things of the world, and we look to Jerusalem, the hill, the mountain of Jerusalem, the mountain of Zion. My help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. May he not allow your foot to stumble. Neither will the one who guards you slumber. Behold, he shall neither slumber nor sleep that keeps Israel. The Lord is your keeper. Who stands at your right hand is your protection and your shade. The sun shall not burn you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord keeps you from all evil. The Lord will keep your soul safe. The Lord will watch over your coming in and your going out. From this moment until forever. As we begin our journey... We look to Jerusalem, we look to the temple, we look to our Lord, and we realize this is where our help comes from. We leave the world behind, and we've set our focus on our God. And the promises that come from our God is that He will protect us, He will provide. I love this this line when God says, I am your shade. I am your shade. Now I've come from Texas, and in Texas, shade is important. (laughs) Shade is important. If you get caught out in the deserts around El Paso, and you spend much time in the sun, you know what's going to happen to you. You go crazy. you probably die of thirst as well. But you'll go crazy. God is our shade. He is a protection of our physical well-being, but also of our mental and emotional health. He is our shade. I, I uh, read a series of books. I forget who the author of it was, but... In this, in this series of books, there were uh, different, kind, there are different uh, ethnic groups, different groups, groups of people, and one of them were a desert people. And whenever they, they would refer to their spouse, a husband would refer to his spouse as the shade of my heart. See, for a desert person, shade is one of the most precious things in the world. The Lord says, I am your shade. And so there is a promise, not just to barely keep us alive, but there is a pl- promise to bless and to prosper, to give comfort. Remember the Holy Spirit, referred; Jesus referred to him as the comforter. He is the advocate, but he is also the comforter. He fights for us, but he also comforts us. God is so all-inclusive in his love for us. God is so, he so desires to embrace us. A lot of times we don't let God embrace us. Have you ever tried to embrace someone who has, um, what's the name of that, um, almost said Alzheimer's, But that's not, that's not it. Um, Pardon? No, it's it's a, children are unable to emote. They're unable to have emotion. Autism, Autism. I knew it was an A word, autism. (laughs) God bless them, but they're unable to express emotions. I don't think they've really figured out what causes autism yet. But I've seen people who are like that because they have been so Damaged in life. They've been so injured by people that should be loving and caring for them. They are, get so withdrawn that it, it's like they have autism. And they will not let you embrace them. They will not let you hold them. They will not let you love them. And sometimes we're that way with God. We've grown confused about our relationship with God. And we think we're protecting ourselves from him. That God might ask something of us we don't want to give, or maybe God is, is not completely loving. Maybe he's got a little, maybe you know, maybe he's got, he's out to punish people. We don't know, but we get confused and we don't allow ourselves to surrender to God. We don't realize how much he desires to embrace, to keep, to protect, to hold we can entrust ourselves completely to him. There's probably no human being we can completely entrust ourselves to. But we can entrust ourselves completely to God. Knowing that even if the worst happens, even if we were martyred for our faith, God would still care for us and protect us, watch over us. So as we begin this ascent into God's presence, we not only leave the world behind, but we embrace something new. We embrace our God. We know that our God is going to be our help. Our God will be our provider. Our God will be our protector. Our God will even be our shade. He will even give us comfort in this life as he brings, draw, draws us into himself. So we turn our eyes to the hills. We see, we look up Mount Zion, and there we see our Lord pouring into us all that we need and drawing us to himself. Psalm 122. I've known a lot of preachers who begin every service this way. I rejoiced when they said to me, We shall go into the house of the Lord. Our feet were standing in your courts, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, which is built as a city which is compactly joined together. There did the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, the testimony of Israel to praise the name of the Lord, because there the thrones of justice have sat in judgment. The thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace and security of Jerusalem. Pray for the peace and security of those that love you. Let peace be in your strength and abundance in your towers. For the sake of my brothers and of my neighbors, I speak peace to you. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will pursue good things for you. Here we have entered into the very gate of Jerusalem. We're not to the temple yet, but we've entered into the gates. And there we begin to rejoice. And I was glad. They said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. But where is Jerusalem? What is Jerusalem today? Jerusalem today is the church. The church is... If you go through the scriptures and see how the... Jerusalem is a type of the church, and in many places in the New Testament, the New Jerusalem is the church. It is the people of God. One of the things about our journey is we do not make this journey alone. Obviously, we make this journey with the Lord, but we also make this journey with the people of God. We make this journey with all those who who rejoice to go into the house of the Lord. We make this journey with one another. We help each other along the way. We care for one another. And we come to the presence of God in the church. In the church. You know, the church has had many, many sayings about the our import- own importance. We like to talk about our own importance sometimes. And they say, whoever has God as their father must have the church as their mother. You've heard that saying? You've heard that story? Yes. And there's even in the teaching of the church that salvation comes from the church. The only, the, the only way salvation comes is through the church. Now, those sayings, although they do tend to speak to our own importance, do not expe- speak to some kind of earthly exclusivity, because God is much bigger than we are, Right. God is much bigger than we are. But yet it is the church that proclaims the word of God. Now I know, and I've read many testimonies, beautiful testimonies. Someone grows up, maybe as a Muslim, in a country where there is no church. They've probably never even seen a church. Their only understanding of Jesus is that he was a prophet. I read a wonderful story I forget who the name of this woman was. She was a Muslim. She lived in Pakistan, so she had some relation, some understanding of the church. And God spoke to her in a dream. Actually, it wasn't God himself, it was John the Baptist. She sees this man, and he looks at her and says, I am John the Baptist, and I will show you the way. And so she went looking for the way. She wouldn't even know who John the Baptist was, because John the Baptist is not a Muslim prophet, although Jesus is. And so she tried to find out who is John the Baptist and what is the way. And she came across some Catholic nuns at a hospital. There were there uh, a religious order of nuns that worked in hospitals, working in a hospital in Pakistan. And they, and so she says, tell me about this dream. I saw this man, John the Baptist. He's pointing. He's going to tell me the way. What is the way? And then they showed him in the scripture where John the Baptist said, "Behold, the Lamb of God." Gave her a copy of the Bible. And she began reading. It was a living Bible, by the way. She began reading it. And she saw the way. Because she had, God had spoken to her sovereignly in a dream. Given her a vision of John the Baptist. Isn't that amazing? So God is very well able to reach outside of our little confines of the church to find people to bring them to himself. So when we say salvation is from the church, that doesn't mean we're in charge. But we have a responsibility. We at least had a Bible to give her. The Catholic nuns at least had a Bible to give her so she could read the story of Jesus. When we talk about When we talk about salvation coming from the church is not to puff ourselves up but to point out our responsibility. It's our responsibility to bring salvation to the world. It's our responsibility to maintain the scriptures so that we can pass them down to people. It's our responsibility to tell the story of Jesus to the next generation and the next generation within a context that they can understand. One of the problems, one of the challenges we have as the church today is that generations are turning so fast. You know, it used to be, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, that whatever, whatever a man did, his sons were going to do, right? Whatever a woman did, his, her daughters were going to do. A man, a man trained his son. He, he was a farmer. He owned some land. He would pass that land down to his son. He would train that son how to farm. That son would farm. They, knew, they spoke the same language. And that went on for, the, for generations to generations. But then what happens is now, the world is changing so quickly that we've lost the ability to communicate to the next generation. And the next generation is not 30 or 40 years away from us. The generations are turning over every four or five years. So even an older brother can't communicate to his younger brother because his younger brother is growing up in an entirely different world than he did. If you ever look at a a rate of of the dissemination and the understanding of knowledge, the rate of gaining of knowledge, and there wasn't much changed between Abraham and Jesus. Not a lot new was learned between Abraham and Jesus. But there was a great deal of change between, say, Jesus and Napoleon. All right? About 1,500 years, the the world had doubled in knowledge. And then a few hundred years from that, the world began to double in knowledge again and double in knowledge again. It gets now to the point that uh, the knowledge base of our society doubles every, every year or two. And so Luke, people grow up in entirely different worlds. You know, we, we live stream our masses, we live streaming this one, this teaching today. And so a lot of times people tell me, well I don't know how to use YouTube. And I say, well do you know how to, do you have a grandson? <laughs> do you have a grandchild? They know everything about it. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Isn't that a reversal? That we look to the youngest in the family to teach us how to do things instead of the eldest? Our world has changed so much. We have to find new ways to communicate ageless truths. And it's not just technology, but it's language and expressions And how do we communicate? And it's a very difficult challenge. It's a difficult challenge for me as a priest. As I try to be a guardian of the church of God and I realize if we do not find a way to reach those in their 20s and 30s, then where is the church going to be in 50 years? Well, let's think of it this way. If we can't find a way to to reach people in their 40s and 50s, where is the church going to be in 20 years? We must find a way to communicate into people whose lives are so distracted. When I grew up, there were four television channels, and one of them was public television. Whoever watched that, right? (laughs) Now there are thousands. There are literally thousands of channels. Now you and I, you know, maybe, you know, at one point in life, maybe we got one of those big satellite dishes put it in our backyard, and so, wow, I've got a hundred channels. <laughs> but now you just plug in, you know, the little, the little, easy the little cable to the to the cloud, and there are probably ten thousand channels. We did you know there were ten thousand television channels? You probably didn't because you don't, you don't watch that much television anymore. But they're on. Uh, um, in groups like, like YouTube, Vimeo, and all these, all these different outlets for, for television. So any kid with a little webcam can create his own television channel. Guardian Angels has its own television channel. <laughs> we do. YouTube slash thieves slash Guardian Angels KC. <laughs> we have our own television channel. Unbelievable. One of the things we're doing here, this is a okay, this is a pause for a commercial break. One of the things we're doing here at Guardian Angels is we are trying to completely revamp the whole concept of RCIA. We're calling it discovery. We're having discovery classes. You may have seen the big yellow sign when you drove up. Discovery classes. Because people need to discover what faith is. Before we can begin to ask them, would you like to be a Catholic, we have to explain to them, what is faith? Actually, first we have to explain to them, who is God? Who is God? They don't know. The people don't know. They haven't got a clue. Maybe if their parents made them go to church, they have some kind of a Sunday school understanding of God. But you don't realize that when we try to explain God to a six-year-old, that what we're explaining to them is really not, it's not an adult understanding of God. They can't build an adult faith on that. You can't take kids and teach them when they're six years old enough to carry them through life. They have to continue to learn and grow. And they stop. They probably stop going to church after they receive their first communion at age seven if they made it that far. And so we need to explain to them an adult understanding of God so that they can believe in God. The reason so many people have become atheists is because they never had an adult understanding of God. They went to college, they saw how big the universe was. Suddenly, the universe was bigger than the God they learned when they were six. And they said, well, that, that, you know, I can't believe in, in this little God. The universe is bigger than that. We have to bring them to a point of understanding God is bigger than the universe. And just saying that doesn't work. So, we have to find new ways to help them to discover who God is. We need to discover what is faith? How can I have a faith? And we need to help them and then discover what is Christianity? What is Je- who is Jesus? What is Jesus teaching us? Why is this so important? And then we can ask them the question would you like to be Catholic? <laughs> but we have this huge gulf to cross before we can get to that point. So in the end of next month October 28th we're starting our discovery classes we've got the, and their their flyers their are posters. Um, we want to be able to do this. I, I, want, to, I want to bring in hundreds quite frankly because we're going to live stream it we're going to record it we'll put it on YouTube we have our own television channel. We're trying to reverse A trend I have watched for too long as the church begins to shrink. We've got to turn this around. We must turn this around. Or in 20 years, we'll have half as many churches in the city that we have now. In 50 years, we'll have half again as well. We must turn this around. I got off topic here. But we're coming to embrace Jerusalem. We pray for Jerusalem. We are coming to the presence of God, but we need to come within the church and we need to make sure there is a church. But thanks be to God. He has taken care of that. If you have no access to the church, and a lot of, some of us get to that point in our lives, right? We can't even get to church anymore. If we live in a place where there's no access to church, we're unable to manage church, and in fact, some of us are in that spot by now who are watching this via the live stream because of, of COVID, they can't make it to church. He has given us our blessed mother. You know, there was a time in history when there was only one person in the church. And that church, that person was Mary. She was the Ark of the Covenant. She carried the Son of God in her womb. She was the church. She raised Him... As an infant. She was the believer. She was the believer in the Messiah. She was the first disciple. When we have no access to anyone else. With which we can find our way to Christ. We have our blessed mother. We must never. Diminish her role in our own salvation. Never diminish her role in the salvation of the world. We live in America. Remember when the the Spaniards attempted to bring Christianity to the Americas? And the priests came to preach about Jesus. But it was a really hard sell because before the priests got here, the conquistadors came through slaughtering everybody. (laughs) All right, now that we've killed most of you, those of you who are still alive should embrace Jesus. That was a hard sell. And so priests were being murdered right and left. It, It had gotten so bad, the Vatican was at the point of withdrawing all priests from this continent and giving up, saying we can't reach these people. They're too savage. They're too dangerous. They're too bloodthirsty. We cannot reach them. But then the Blessed Mother showed up. Then the Blessed Mother came to a peasant, a poor peasant, You know, he wasn't even a Catholic. He wasn't even a Christian. He was studying to be baptized. He was a catechumen. He was going through classes to learn how to be a Christian. And the Blessed Mother came. And everything changed. If you've ever studied the Tilma, on which the image of Our Blessed Mother, Our Lady of Guadalupe, appeared. And you realize that the the symbology that she brought to the people was not a Christian symbology. It was an Aztec symbology. And by her communicating to the Aztec people in their own language, in using their own symbols, millions, millions of people were converted to Christ. We have an image of the Blessed Mother of Our Lady of Guadalupe, I think over there. And you know one of the things she's doing in that image, she's dancing. She's dancing. Because that is how the ancient Aztec people prayed, was by dancing. Don't try to do that in church. (laughs) We have rules against that. Fortunately, thanks be to God, the Blessed Mother doesn't have to obey our rules, so she shows up as an image of one dancing because that spoke to the people. We spend so much of our time trying to preach and speak to those who are in the church. I guess that makes sense because you're the ones who are here if we lose those outside. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the prosperity of Jerusalem. Pray for the prosperity of the church. Pray that the church grows and builds and becomes strong because the world will not hear unless the church is here to proclaim the truth. And they will not hear unless you proclaim it in a way they can understand it. Entering into the gates of Jerusalem, we pray for Jerusalem. And God promises three things in this psalm. He promises three blessings. He promises strength. He promises abundance. He promises peace. Can we rejoice in God's strength, His abundance, and His peace? Can we rejoice that in our lives? Can we rejoice in the life of the church? Pray that the church, God gives to the church, strength, abundance, and peace so that we can proclaim the truth of God into the world that is in such desperate need of it. And if we cannot, then we will start closing doors. So let us pray. God gives His church strength, abundance, and peace. And that that strength, abundance, and peace trickle down into all who are gathered, into the whole neighborhood. You know, when I am the was made pastor of Guardian Angels, I was not just made pastor to the 100 or 200 people who show up On Sundays. Used to be 200. Now with COVID, it's about 100. Okay. I was not just made pastor to those people. I am literally, by canon law, the pastor for every soul within the parish boundaries. Everyone. I'm not just your pastor, I'm everyone's pastor. I'm not just responsible for you, I'm responsible for everyone. And those in the pews. If they're writing 18-page letters to the bishop about me, think of what the people outside of the church are thinking about me. We must be strong and courageous. And so God promises strength. He promises abundance. And he promises peace. So as we approach God's presence, as we come into his Jerusalem, as we come to the Blessed Mother, as we come to Christ's church, pray, pray, for the strength, for the abundance and the peace of his church so that we can grow and build and proclaim. And pray God gives us wisdom how to proclaim to a people who have forgotten how to hear.